What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Van Chats on the Out of Collective Network. My name is John Kroom. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit that subscribe button, leave us a review, and yeah, that helps us out quite a bit. Also, if you haven't already, please make sure you go to johnkroomcycling.com and check out the merch. Go ahead and buy yourself a coffee mug, or you can go to outofcollective.com and pick yourself up a cool hat from Out of Collective. Um, yeah, there's got some super cool gear over there, and you can also listen to some of the other podcasts that are going on. But let's go ahead and dive into this week's episode with Shane Klein. Shane Klein is a teammate of mine and a really good friend of mine, and we sit down and we chat about uh, kind of his crashes and how he's bounced back from that, how he got into the sport, and uh, yeah, just what's going on in Shane's life. It's been it was kind of cool to catch up with him on a podcast and in that setting, and he even listens to the podcast, so that's that's even better. But anyways, enough of me talking. Let's go ahead and hear a quick message from the sponsors. Back for another episode is Function Wear, guys. I've talked about them last week and the week previous, and uh, yeah, they make some of the coolest neck mask, face mask for all your COVID needs. And I know that that stuff's going out of the way, but they also have masks that you can wear uh, just out riding and out training when it gets kind of cold outside, or if you're wanting to go, uh, you know, just stay warm and you can use their neck tubes and uh, masks and stuff to stay warm. So all you have to do is go to functionwear.com. That's functionwear.com. I'll put a link down in the description below. Check them out. They got all kinds of cool designs. One of my favorite designs is like this mustache style one. I think that's kind of funny, kind of comical, but uh, I'm also kind of a dork. So yeah, anyways, yeah, functionwear. That's functionwear.com with a PH, and I'll also put it down in the link in the description below. Also back for another episode is Twisted Spoke. Guys, best CBD around. Twisted Spoke CBD. Um, all you need to do is go into your bike shop or your local retailer. Let them know that you want Twisted CBD, Twisted Spoke CBD inside this retailer and yeah they should be able to get it through uh through most bike shop uh distributors and so all you need to do is go and ask your uh local bike shop or local retailer to stock that junk um it's some of the best stuff i've ever used i really love their uh their new leg gel that they have it's like this activating leg gel it's great for training um, huge fan, huge fan. So go check them out. Also, you can check them out at twistedspokescbd.com. But anyways, that's all for the ads this week. Let's go ahead and dive into this week's episode. What's going on guys. Welcome back to another episode of coffee and van chats on the out of collective network. My name is John Croom and I'm sitting here with an old teammate, still my friend, Shane Klein. Shane, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. It's good to see your face. Do you, do you, can I call you a teammate? Can I say we were teammates? Hundred percent. Yeah. Weird? Like. Okay. Cool. Hundred like, percent. Well, here's it. You remember, but you remember, like when I was like a cat four, and I emailed you, and I said, "Hey, man, I want to be pro one day." Yeah. And you remember <laughs> that? And I bugged you, and I just wanted, I just wanted to be your best friend, and so it's weird saying, "Oh yeah, shit, Shane Klein, Eric Young, Adrian Hedgeberry, all these guys were my teammates," and it's weird saying that now aloud. But, anyways. <clears throat> Let's let's dive into you, man. I want to get to know the backs, or I want I want everybody else to know you as a as an athlete. So, where do you find yourself, like even just getting started in cycling? Like, how did it how did it all start? I mean, I was always a kid that rode bikes around. Like, I was always outside. That was never. It wasn't like I had this family member guiding me into riding bikes and cycling. That was always just kind of part of my deal. But it was more like you know, BMX bikes 
doing some hood rat stuff with my friends around town, yeah, like yeah. having fun. Like I didn't actually ever think I would be racing a bike. Yeah. Uh, but then that all kind of changed when I went to my uncle. Well, I live in Valley PA, which is extremely close to the Velodrome in Trexel Town. It's like yeah. 20 minutes away. So my uncle invited me to his birthday party. I think it was like his 40th birthday, maybe. And he's yeah. like, yeah, it's going to be at the Velodrome. And at the at that point, I had no idea what Velodrome even was. Yeah. Uh, I was like, all right, cool. Let's go to his birthday. Went there with my family. We got there. And it was a Friday night. And you could like rent the Velo deck for events back then. So he had like the deck rented for his birthday party. Friday night racing was on. I saw the racing and I instantly was just like, that looks sweet. They're going fast. I want to try yeah. that. And I think I was. And that's back. That's back when like the money was insane. Yeah, like, no, it was. I remember there being like a big crowd too. It wasn't yeah. like 200 people there. It was like, you know, over a thousand people there. It was, it was sweet. Wow. And uh, I think I was like 12, maybe when I first okay. saw that. Yeah. So that was kind of my introduction into you know, road racing, track racing, that sort of stuff. But it started at the velodrome. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's sick. And so, and so then, then from there, it's like, you know, I mean, you find yourself doing what the intro level stuff in, in PA, but how do you find yourself making the, like, cause I feel like there's like a, there's a solid moment in everybody's life where it's like, okay, I'm going to do this. Like, I think I'm going to take this seriously, especially like with kids, right? Like, um, there comes a time when they're like, I want to go pro and there's that switch. When did that switch hit for you? Uh, I don't know if I necessarily just had that moment where I was like, I want to go pro as much as I was like, I want to keep pursuing this and see how far I can go. Yeah. Cause at the time when I first started racing, I still played like normal sports. Like I played yeah. baseball and stuff like that. So there was a point where I got to the level where I was like, all right, I can't continue to do all of these. I have to pick one. And that's when I decided to go with cycling. And at that point in my life, I was just kind of like, I want to just keep pushing and pushing to see where I can go. But the itch for me started on the track. Like yeah. I, I didn't have the, the idols and the, the people to follow on the road side of things. Like it was always on the track. Like I, I, I looked at results from the track instead of like who won the tour. I was curious, yeah. like who won world championship scratch race, something like that. Wow. Um, so the pro side of it was a little different for me because you didn't necessarily have to be a pro to pursue the track. So yeah. my main goal was that it just happened. Like when I got to maybe around that age of, you know, 17 18 where you're like hey i, I kind of need some money <laughs> that's when yeah. i started to realize okay i can do the track but if i want to actually turn this into some type of a living that i can scrape by on i need to start pursuing the road more and then yeah. once i opened up the doors on the road then the the floodgates kind of just opened up and i like experienced a whole another side of racing that i didn't really fully experience yet and that was it was new to me. It was fun. And I kind of just went in full gas on the roadside at that point. Yeah, no, that's sick. And so I, I think a lot of people probably, if they don't know, um, but I think a lot of people do know you from the accident that you had, you know, when you broke the femur and right. It was your femur, right? 
I had two bad crashes. One, I broke a femur. And then one, I went through the back of a car window in Portugal and uh, just like severe concussion, broken collarbone. That to me was, the other one was a longer recovery. Yeah, what's the, what's the first one? Is the first one the femur and then the second one's the, the Portugal? Yeah, I broke my femur first. I broke my femur yeah, first. Yeah, like how do, you, how do you come back from that? though like i didn't it know wasn't it, would. it wasn't like you probably still it, correct me if i'm wrong like but do you still have medical bills from that too i don't have any medical bills from it but i have medical pains from it <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah i feel like i still have the rod and everything in my hip and like i feel that thing every day it's it's always present mm -hmm. and it's uh it's definitely been a part of my entire career like i've had to do maybe a little extra PT work after a big training day than your average dude. Because if I don't, like I literally won't be able to ride. Jeez. And so, and so how did you even like think like you were going to come back from this? Like you're sitting in the hospital bed and like, trust me, like most of us cyclists have sat in the hospital bed and it's like with broken collarbones and we're like, Oh, okay, cool, cool. We'll bounce back. Um, yeah. I mean, there was a uh, Philip Heinen. Are you familiar with that guy? Philip Heinen? He's a, uh, he's a Dutch, no. he's a duck, he's young, he's a young Dutch track rider, but you know, like in Belgium, you know how they have that like plexiglass on like metal yeah. rods, like for the infield. So like, that's what protects the infield and like yes. the riders from going into the infield. He went straight through it, fell through it into the infield and broke his L5 all the way down to L1. And he, ah. it was, I was like, that's insane. And now he's yeah. like talking to, I think he might've broken his femur. I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure, but he fucked himself up. And like the way he's making it look on Instagram, like he's like, I'll be back. I'll be back. And I'm just thinking to myself, oh, so this like, just you're happened. You're not paralyzed. This happened like maybe two weeks ago. Oh, okay. So that was oh, again. And so I was thinking it and I went yeah and this is the reason why i wanted to bring you on i was thinking about like how people get through these accidents like you know taylor finney with his leg chloe diger with her leg like you with your leg and then the portugal one and so like i kind of want to chat through the femur and then i i think the portugal one is the one we chatted about that i know about that was really hard for you to come back yeah and so yeah so like how, like, so the femur, how old were you when that, all that stuff went down? That was in 2015. So okay. I was 25. Okay. And then you were just like, were you positive through it all? Or like, how did it all work? No. It all work? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I had an amazing support system around me. So, I mean, I feel like I have to give you a little bit of the backstory of the situation was I was on smart stuff at the time. Yeah. Uh, the team was rocking like the year before we won us pro, like we were all set up to have a great 2015. I was looking to really have a good season myself. Cause I put in a ton of work in 2014 to like, just really build my engine. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of people put faith in me and like that I would be able to bring some big results that year. And then here we are, uh, at Joe Martin and it's early season still. 
and I broke my femur. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, it was a dumb crash. It was in the crit. Like it wasn't even like it was a big crash. It was just someone like overlapped wheels. I plowed into someone and I just landed wrong on my left side. And it just right at the, it's a trochanter break. So it was like right at the head of the femur. It just split right off underneath that and the long part of your femur. Uh, yeah. But when it happened, like I knew something was wrong because there were, there were people, of course, rushing over and like checking me out. It's crazy. Like, oh. Everybody becomes a doctor at the moment yes. at a bike race. Yeah. Everybody's a yes. doctor. Everybody's like telling you what to do. And you're just like, can I actually talk to a doctor, please? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like people ran over there like scoping and they're like, oh, everything feels okay. I'm like, no, I can't move my leg. Like I'm telling it to move, but it's not moving. Like I know I'm not okay. Oh man. <laughs> so at that point, yeah, like I got on the stretcher, head to the hospital and I'm just laying in the hospital room, just waiting for the diagnosis after the x-rays. And I'm just like, I just had a feeling that I broke something. Yeah. And when the doctor came back in and said, you broke your femur, I was kind of like hit with like a wall. It felt like, yeah. and my, my heart just like dropped. I'm like, I'm done. I'm like, how do you come back from a broken femur? Like in my mind, this is what's running through it at the moment. Yeah. And like, I just went on a downward, downward spiral really quickly. Uh, and then I talked to my now wife, kind of filled her in and she was pretty calming with it and helped me kind of like just breathe for a second. And then like some of uh, my team showed up then like started to get more support from everyone. So it was really like the support system on that initial news of you of a broken femur that kind of helped me handle a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but then like getting the news that I'm going to have to have surgery there. I couldn't fly home and like all this other stuff was going to happen. I thankfully have a really good friend slash orthopedic surgeon named Neil Stansberry on my yeah. phone because I've, I've had to have stuff done with him before. And I called up Neil. I was like, Hey Neil, like I did this. I'm at this hospital. And what do you think? He's like, no, get it done now. I know some of the people that work there, they're a level, whatever hospital, like they'll do a great job, get it done. You're not going to be able to fly home with this. So I felt a little more at ease then. At that point, I still didn't yeah. know like whether or not I'd be able to come back to racing because to be completely honest with you, the, the doctor really wasn't too like optimistic about it. <laughs> oh, savage. Yeah. I had that same situation. I think it's funny when people, when we go into hospitals as athletes, and we break something and the doc, like you can tell visibly like we're fucked and yeah. and like we're just emotionally destroyed and and the doctor's just like oh yeah i don't see you coming back from this one this is gonna be a tough one man and yeah. Uh, yeah that's gonna be a struggle so the doctor wasn't optimistic at all huh no no he basically just like gave me the rundown of what surgery i'd be getting the next day and just how massive of a recovery process it's going to be and I'm just in my mind thinking like, okay, well, I think I'm probably done bike racing. Like this Savage. was sweet, but <laughs> what well, did then did the Neil guy say anything? Like, was he like, he didn't go into much detail with that. He basically just tried to like, Hey, get he the did. surgery done. Yeah. Like you need to do this. Yeah. So he that kind of just off like, the rocker if he told you yeah. hey, it's going to be nine months of recovery. Yeah. Which I didn't really have much expectations for the recovery process. Uh, yeah. but it went really well. 
in a sense. I kind of maybe pushed it a little bit, but I tried to do everything right with the recovery of that. Cause I knew like, if I tried to push that too hard, like stuff just has to heal. So the first yeah. bit where they're like, Hey, you can't walk on your leg for four weeks or whatever it was that I like listened to. I was like, all right, I'm not, I can't walk for four weeks. Like I'm literally going to just lay on the sofa, which I did that. Okay. That was hard because when you can't put weight on your leg and you have to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom it doesn't make it fun like I was literally peeing in a jug on the sofa because I couldn't get into bed I couldn't get to the bathroom in time the first few weeks were just absolutely miserable I'm like shooting myself in the stomach with blood thinners every day like Uh. yeah it was it was not fun but I had Taylor there for me she she took really good care of me. I mean, that was kind of actually the moment where I knew like this was the one and <laughs> it's yeah. sad to say, but yeah. like the way she took care of me, I'm like, no one else would do this for me. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. For sure. No, that's awesome, man. And then, so like, so you come back from that and, and then what, what year is it that you end up through the back of a windshield? Uh, it was the, it was the next year. Yeah. Yeah, like that year I came back to racing, actually. I, uh, oh my God. I, I kind of like did a couple of smaller tune up races in like August. Yeah. I finally got like the okay to start racing after doing like three months of therapy, basically, to get the hip back to somewhat of a normalcy. And then I finished the year out with, uh, Tour of Alberta. So that was kind of like, yeah, the big test to see, like, hey, can I still continue to do this? And, Actually, like I, I had really good fitness and it went well, other than on the very first stage, this was like one of the years where it was miserable weather at Tour of Alberta. We're like out in the mining country. It's 45 degrees, raining, survive a miserable stage. It was a tough day, like no big deal other than I had to make sure to put Travis into a good position for the sprint because I wasn't at the level where I was going to be racing for the win or anything like that. So I was just trying to be as good of a teammate as I could be. So I did that. I put Travis in like top 10, kind of like send him on his way. And I'm literally crossing the line. I'm still like maybe top 30 at this point. So I still had some speed rolling and it was so windy. The finish line barrier blows off of the ground and crashes like six of us just comes straight up off the ground, right across the finish line takes us out and i land on my hip like first oh big race God. back so it was oh man there's actually a photo of my face on the ground like are you actually serious right now <laughs> yeah like there's a chance there's a chance that i may have just effed this all up again yeah yeah but it was okay it was yeah. like kind of in hindsight it was a good test other than i had to do the whole stage race then bandaged up yeah but yeah. it was like okay yeah i can still crash and like my leg's not going to fall off. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so a couple months later, you then probably end up in Portugal. And so how does this go down? Yeah. So at this point now I'm on rally cycling. Uh, I was over in, it was an early season race. It was March. We went over to do some of the stuff that they typically do in Portugal. It's kind of like a rally optum tradition. I feel like they always go over there early season. And I did the first round of races, which were hard, but nothing like really crazy to say about it. And then we went to go do some stage race in the mountains. 
and this was a uh, first day. It was also a super wet, miserable day. And I think we were maybe like three quarters way done with the stage. Most of the big climbs were done. There was like a descent back into town and I think we had some circuits. And on the descent back down, it was a pretty wild like European goat path road. And honestly, like the crash, I don't remember. I have no memory of the crash whatsoever. I just remember being on this wet descent, some sketchy turns. I've heard from other people because I guess there were a few guys that crashed throughout the stage, like because it, it was broken up at that point. But throughout the stage, like this turn, I think maybe three people went down in the same turn. Uh, and I, from what everyone said, it was like an off camber, wet sort of thing. But there were cars parked on the outside of the turn, like on the road, essentially. Yeah. So from what I'm understanding, like I said, I don't remember any of it. I just remember waking up in the ambulance is that most likely like I either overcooked it or something happened in front of me or I don't know. I just hit a wet patch and probably high sided into the cars because it was an off camera turn. So, yeah, man, it was how freaked out did you have to be, though, to just wake up in an ambulance? Yeah, I woke up in an ambulance and no one spoke English. So it was like, I didn't know what yeah, happened. Yeah, like I'm wondering how you even got into the, how did you get into the ambulance? So somebody Don't saw know. you crash. I have no idea. None Don't of my know. teammates were with me at that point. Cause like I said, the stage was broken up. It was real hard. So people were just like splintered. Uh, yeah, I have no idea how I got into the ambulance to this day. Holy I shit. So you wake up in an ambulance. You don't know, you can't speak Portuguese and yeah you're you're just you're probably bloody and probably in a bit of pain uh, yes was anything broken yeah i broke my collarbone okay so collarbones shot um my face was cut up from because yeah, going through my head took window. the brunt of the impact just like looking at my body and seeing my helmet because my yeah. helmet was in there my helmet was just like a pancake man and so like at that moment, like, what's, I mean, this is going to be a kind of a funny question. What's going through your mind? You know? Well, my initial thought was, okay, I'm in an ambulance and like, <clears throat> this is scary to say, but I couldn't, like, I had the picture of my wife show up in my head and yeah. I could not remember her name. I was laying oh, there. Like the first thing I was trying to figure out while I was laying there, I was like, I know this person. What is her name? What is her name? What is her name? And like after five minutes, I literally finally remembered her name. Yeah. And uh, so, and like, so you're, you're sitting there, you're trying to remember her name. And then like, I think like, what's next for you? Like, I mean, cause it was it a long drive over to the hospital. Yeah. I actually had a little bit of a saving grace with the drive over is like maybe another 15 minutes or I can't, I'm guessing it was around 15 minutes after being in there and waking up, uh, we stopped to pick up another rider who crashed and it was Logan Owen. <laughs> and oh, he, wow. I'm pretty sure he broke his wrist. So like, then I had someone to talk to and Logan, he saw me and I could just see his face. He's like, oh, this guy's messed up. And he was like, hey man, like, how you doing? How you feeling? It's really nice and like kind of thoughtful of like trying to keep me a little bit positive. Uh, so then, yeah, we were in the ambulance for, it was probably another 10 or 15 minutes till we got to hospital. Cause you got to realize like where we were racing, it's like in the mountains in Portugal. Like there's 
Yeah. There's not a big city. There's not a big hospital. You're going to this hole in the wall pretty much. And that was essentially my experience once I got to the hospital. Like some people that spoke Portuguese rolled me in. I laid in the hallway of the hospital, not like a room or anything in the hallway for probably like two hours. Jonas showed up, our director, Jonas showed up like maybe half an hour to an hour after I got there. Uh, and yeah, we just laid there. He talked to me for a while. He updated my family on the whole situation. And then finally I get into like, go get some x-rays. We already knew, like, obviously my collarbone was broken, but I just like have some specific memories that I do remember from this hospital visit. And like, I remember going into the x-ray room and they have me laying down on the machine and I'm like looking up at the ceiling and there's just tiles missing from the ceiling. The x-ray machine was literally duct taped together. <laughs> and I'm just like, I don't want to be in this hospital. I don't want them to do yeah. anything to me. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was an experience, man. And I ended up like leaving that hospital after like maybe three hours with Basically, all they did was they put my arm in a makeshift sling out of some gauze, told yeah. Jonas I had a broken collarbone, and then they gave me Tylenol, and I was on my way. Sweet. And then you had a, I'm guessing you had a glorious flight home. Yeah. So the worst part was the spot that we were in, I couldn't get out. So I had to do the transfer with the team the very next day to the next stage. Yeah. So I hung back as long as I could and didn't like go ahead early. I hung back with the mechanics and tried to like rest as much as I could. Uh, but it was brutal, dude. It was like my head, it felt like someone was taking an ice pick and just driving it through the middle of my skull because the concussion that I had was unlike anything I've ever experienced. You still and deal with stuff would, like that. You still deal with that today, don't you? Like, don't you deal with some of that shit? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, actually, last year, I went through a round of eye therapy to try and work on some symptoms that I was experiencing. Just stuff that, like, never really went away. Yeah. I learned to kind of deal with it while racing. <clears throat> but then yeah. as soon as I, like, stepped off the bike a bit, some of this stuff just came up and it was kind of like unavoidable stuff I needed to actually go work on stuff that I should have really spent and focused on when the accident first happened. But as a bike racer, you're like, I have to get another contract. So I just have a yeah. broken collarbone. I don't well, what's have a your, I guess like Shane now talking to old Shane bike racer, like think about it. There's probably some Shane bike racers that listen to this podcast. Like, What's some advice that you would give them if they did, you know, I mean, even if they fucked themselves up a third of as bad as, as you did, you know, like I, like concussions are serious, man. Like it's, I mean, it can create depression. Um, it can create, um, you know, memory loss and all kinds of things, vision. Um, yeah. What's your, what's your kind of like, what's, what's kind of your advice, I guess, to some of these athletes out there that feel like the contract might be important more important than their brain <laughs> you know yeah totally i i totally hear exactly what you're saying i mean my biggest takeaway from it is well one i feel like it is a lot more talked about now uh it it definitely has become yeah. 
something that's easier for athletes to actually share and be open about instead of like back then it was looked at more of like a crutch because basically you're damaged goods like if you have yeah. all these symptoms with concussion like why do we want to risk either putting you in a race or risk like that you're just going to be on the sidelines all season uh so that is definitely good to hear that it's being more up more on the forefront like people are actually taking it seriously like there's real protocols being put in place i mean it was crazy to think like even on that team that year we did do some preseason testing like concussion protocol stuff at cam but then when it came race day and when the situation happened like that like that stuff just went out the window nobody was there yeah, to yeah. Stuff. it's like okay we did this at camp but okay now what like now yeah. where is because looking back, I did so many things wrong in that situation with that concussion. Like I literally, I didn't one have any real knowledge about what to do to take care of myself as best as I could being that I was overseas. So I honestly did a lot of the worst yeah. things possible. Like that transfer day, the next day, it was bright. I'm sitting in the front seat of the car, just like lots of things happening, sun, uh and then like the following day i get in to a plane like i go into the airport and it's just loud noises like flashing lights like everything possible to make all of my symptoms worse was pretty much what i did and then i come home and then instead yeah. of like evaluating again about my concussion all i was worried about when i got home was my collarbone like i literally had surgery lined up before I even got home. So I was home for like a day. Yeah. Very next day, I'm in getting surgery on my collarbone again, kind of neglecting the true thing that was going to give me, you know, all these symptoms a few years down the road or in the next immediate three or four months. And that was the concussion. Like I was just worried about getting on my bike. So I guess, yeah. yeah, something I would say is to really take it seriously because it is something that can affect you the rest of your life. Uh, yeah. I've gotten to a point now where I fixed a lot of my vision issues, which is what really flared up the last year. But there are still things that I don't know if they'll ever actually go away. Uh, but I think if I had taken them seriously and done all the right protocols and done the right physical therapies and the rehabs that one, I probably would have, wouldn't have gotten half of those symptoms. And then two, it's just going to make your life easier. Like I had months that were just absolutely miserable after that. I mean, I would go and do stuff with my wife and if it was too loud or bright, like I would get nauseous and sick and just, I just wasn't myself for a long time. Wow. No, that's insane, man. And it's, I think what's crazy about all this is like, how much we risk ourselves yeah and how much how much we risk for almost nothing yeah and like yeah it's it's insane and uh, you know and it's kind of hit me the last few weeks actually <laughs> um just like seeing guys race and I, I know your story and yeah it's it's heavy man and so that's one thing that's the reason why i wanted to rush you on the podcast because i was just like i wanted to chat through this because it was like you know, bike racers, you know, will do anything, anything 
for a couple hundred bucks. It's kind of yeah. like yeah. and racing and just actually or really a minimum build, wage contract, you know, a minimum, like, a, a minimum wage contract or even just even just the glory of winning a race. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah no, I just I was just interested and intrigued on it. But anyways, um, don't want to keep you all night. And so um, back to the good stuff. Last question of the night. If you could have a cup of coffee out of that beautiful rocket espresso machine that you have behind you uh with one person dead or alive who would that person be and how, how would you take your coffee and why <clears throat> so i listened to your podcast so i knew this question was actually coming hell yeah uh, i've thought about it a bunch and it changes doesn't it it does change and it's it's definitely a hard decision. I mean, as a Christian man, like the easy thing for me to say, I'd be like, oh, I want to have a cup of coffee with Jesus. Like, yeah, yeah. But I just feel like everyone would kind of expect that. And I hope to still have that coffee with him someday. Yeah, so I yeah. think like, as I really thought about this, I'm like, I want to have it with a specific person at a specific time, if I can do that. Who's that? That's my wife. Okay. And that would be on our honeymoon. We, uh, okay, there was this, there was a specific restaurant in, we went to Puerto Rico for our honeymoon and there was this restaurant there and it was kind of what got us started on like drinking lattes and like stepping outside of just drip coffee. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like something that just stuck with us. And like, now we still have like our morning lattes with each other almost every single morning, like with breakfast. And it's kind of like our time together. And it always just pulls me back to like that time on our honeymoon in Puerto Rico. Uh, so yeah, it would be a latte and it would be with my wife. No, that's dope, man. That's dope. Well, Shane, thanks so much for coming on, man. Guys, if you haven't already, please make sure you hit that subscribe button. Go check out Shane's social media, which will be down in the link in the description below. Also bug him, man. Like, uh, shoot him a message. If you have any questions, he was super nice to me when I was a cat for nobody and he helped me get into the sport and, uh, help push me into the sport. And Hey, you never know those people that you message, you might end up being teammates with them. So, uh, yeah. Other than that, guys, we'll see you next time. Cheers. Thanks, man.